Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Good morning. And Happy New Year to you. And Happy New Year to Richard Sherman. And Happy New Year to Michael Irvin. How are you guys this morning? Fantastic. I'm doing well. I hope you both got a little bit of sleep last night. And here we go. Just as important, happy new season to Cowboy Nation, which now wakes up to the distinct possibility of having two home sweet home playoff games in a Jerry world in which it has now won 16 straight games. All thanks to the Cry Eagles Cry, who blew a home game yesterday to the 3-12 and Arizona Cardinals. Thank you, Beagles, for that. The Cowboys obviously have struggled on the road, but they're now 13-and-a-half-point favorites to cinch the two-seed by winning at arch-rival Washington Sunday. That's 425 Eastern on Fox. All of which inspires me to say, How about them, Cowboys? But I will be the first to admit, the Lions rightfully beat our Cowboys on Saturday night at Jerry World. Our Michael Irvin was there for the halftime induction of Jimmy Johnson, of course, into the Ring of Honor. What a ceremony that was, finally. And Michael has made the point here on Undisputed that putting Jimmy into the ring could pave the way for a Super Bowl ring for our Cowboys because it will finally break the 28-year curse of no NFC Championship games since Michael's Cowboys won, of course, the franchise's last Super Bowl in early 1996. The NFL gods were certainly with us late in Saturday night's game at Dallas and late yesterday at Philadelphia. So now the question looms for Michael and Richard and I. Should the Cowboys be elated or deflated by Saturday night's outcome? Michael, you first, but this first. Do you agree with me that the Lions got robbed Saturday night at Jerry World? Well, I, I will start here first that I do believe, Skip, wow, 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 on how you open this, talking about that old curse that hung over the us curse. for so long, the Jimmy Johnson curse. <laughs> I don't know what else can explain I don't what happened yesterday. I don't know how you can figure this thing out, that this thing went down the way it went down. And Dallas gets that game. Uh, and Philly does what happens in Philly. Yep. I said, man, that, that, I said to myself, even at that game, when I left that game, I will say this. I thought, I didn't feel like we won that game. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? 
I didn't feel like we won that game. I was like, oh, my God. And you're headed into the playoffs on that note. And then, of course, all of the halftime stuff, you know, made me feel great. And then, uh, then what happened in Philly the next day, I was like, whoa, this is crazy now. Because now, now, boy, that does open up some things. Does you know what I mean? Open up some things to have some home games where the Cowboys didn't play well, did not play well in that game. And I still put that, guys, on that offense. Didn't show up. The defense did again. A good job, Sherm, and holding them to 19 points, the same thing they did to Miami. You're holding 19 points to me. That's good enough when you are running, when running against, running with the number one or number two or number three offense of the Dallas Cowboys, and that's what they've been the last few years. Mm. I just need them to get back to producing that. If the defense stays right where it is and putting out, keeping people to 19 points, those are pretty good, two, two pretty good teams at Miami and Detroit. So that Dallas defense, who got gashed in Buffalo, I thought fought back pretty well. But the offense is not doing their part. And that's what I'm worried about right now, Skip. So I did leave that game feeling like, okay, we won. But it didn't feel like we won the game, to be honest with you guys. All right. Go, Richard. Yeah, I I don't know if they got robbed, Skip. Um, I thought there were plays in that game Dallas made that the Lions didn't make early on. I thought the interception late that Jared Goff threw um, was a heck of a play by the defense, and that was a play where they had a little bit of momentum. They had a chance to, to make plays down the stretch. They did eventually get down the field and score a touchdown. Um, but I do think this was a mistake on the referee's part, and I think the NFL went outside, went out of their way to make sure the world knew it was a mistake yep. on the referee's part. They went out of their way yep. to say, hey, these guys will not be refing in the playoffs. You, can, you, you have it here first which is something I don't remember if I've ever heard of the NFL ever doing before. Mm. And mind you, I've talked about this before. They have a system, a point system with these referees, where if they they have a certain amount of mistakes, they get marked down, their crew gets marked down, they get get marked down as an individual, and it affects their ability to ref the playoff games in the Super Bowl, in the AFC, NFC Championship games. So no question, this has always been the case, but... They've never went out and totally exposed this system by saying, hey, these mistakes, including this decision and the tripping call, is the reason these guys, you will not see these guys in late January and early February. And so, I don't know. It just seems like it's a case of a a guy, Brad Allen, the the white cap, just going through the motions more than anything. Not actually listening, not actually paying attention to what's going on on the field, but just going through the motions. He sees the guy coming in. He's been reporting eligible all day. He sees him doing this. And in reality, the Detroit Lions were trying to throw up smoke screens, which, I mean, there's no way to do in that situation because he's going to go to the defense and say, hey, 58, 68, they're reporting eligible. So no matter how much you hide it, no matter how much you you sugarcoat it, disguise it, he's going to announce it to the defense. He said, right. Right, we call it the Bill Belichick, you know, when you're messing with the rules just a little bit, trying to mess with people. But yeah. go ahead, sir. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, it just, it just was them getting a little bit too cute because at the end of the day, you want them both to report eligible. And 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 I think it's the play would still work because nobody's paying attention to two tackles. Everybody's no. like, okay, the tackle's there. We don't need to worry about them. Let's stop this run or let's penetrate. Let's do whatever we need to do to, to win this play. They're not expecting Decker to come out for a pass. The problem is, 
I believe after you report, you got to come out. And so then that would have been an issue later on in the game, but it it, it wouldn't have mattered here. Okay. So to me, in the end, the Cowboys couldn't lose for winning. Go go ahead. Can can you wait? Two people can't report, right? Two can two can two people can't report? Is that right? Can report. I don't I don't know if that's to be true. I don't know if that's to be true. I didn't I I haven't got that confirmed. I think they can. I think two can. And to Richard's point, if we run the video again, you see Panay Sewell is 58, and he's going straight to Brad Allen, uh, along with Taylor Decker, who seems kind of second in line there, and then kind of looping behind them, but making a late run at Brad Allen as he's already going toward the defense, is Dan Skipper. So they were trying to camouflage, trying to disguise, trying to Mm -hmm. trick it up a little bit where Dallas couldn't fixate or focus on one guy as reporting eligible who would be Taylor Decker, who was going to be the primary receiver on the play, right? Right. Okay. Right. Right. Okay, so Richard, have you seen that? I don't know if you remember a game where, where multiple would try to look like they were reporting to fool you or fake you out. Not, not since they changed the rule where the referee literally reports it, goes to the defense, reports it, yells it over the loudspeaker. I haven't seen somebody try to disguise because it doesn't make sense. He's literally going to snitch on you anyway. No matter how much you hide, you got to go over there and tell him, hey, I'm reporting eligible. And he's going to say, no matter how much you hide it, no matter how much you disguise it, he's going to say, okay. 68 is reporting eligible, everybody. Hey, defense, 68 <laughs> is a reported eligible. So Okay, but that's not what he got because Dan Skipper had reported eligible numerous times through the game already, which right. was right. Dan Campbell's way of trying to set up the fakery here. The, the, you know, the camouflage was – that, right. oh, well, Taylor Deck, because the defense got told regularly, oh, 70s eligible, 70s eligible, 70s eligible. And in this case, it was going to be 68 is eligible. And Dan Skipper tried to run in late just to fake them out. But, but Brad Allen just jumped to the conclusion, oh, it's 70 again, reporting eligible, because he'd done that several times during the game. And you can see all of a sudden that Brad Allen is taking off like he's trying to beat the clock and get to the defense in time to say what he'd been telling them all game long, that Dan Skipper is reporting as eligible when he did not actually say, I'm eligible. And according... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead. No, what's insane about the play, Skip, is Dan... Skipper isn't even in an eligible position when they get up to the line of scrimmage. He is not. Okay, right. so he became irrelevant. Which is why they had the two play. flags. Why they had yes. two flags. Okay, but, right. but I don't even, Michael, I don't get the second flag either because his explanation was that, that he reported eligible, then lined up ineligibly. And he, well, he got covered up. He okay. got covered up once he okay, reported. Okay, but you, he you, you, didn't report as eligible in the first place, right. according to him and <laughs> Dan Campbell. Right. So that's moot. That point is moot. And then right. <laughs> Taylor Decker lines up. To the left, but Richard, you, you've got a wide receiver out outside of Taylor Decker, right? So yes, he, sir. He's the last man on the line, but but he should have been eligible for the for the throw, if in fact yeah, he, he. You got the receiver out there, and as as Irv knows, you got to check with the with the ref, and, and we've gone through this already with the Kansas City situation and Kadarius Tony. 
he definitely right. goes and says, hey, I'm off the ball. So at that point in time, the referee has to throw the flag immediately because it's an ineligible. You're looking down the line and you say, hey, there's an ineligible right. not covered up by a receiver. If you don't throw that flag, then you're saying, hey, 68 is eligible and this receiver is also eligible. So this is a legal play. And since they didn't call that flag, that's where I was sitting there scratching my head because you're looking down the line. That's like the first flag you throw as soon as the ball snapped. That's like offsides, neutral zone. That's a dead ball. You throw the flag up and you call it and the play's dead. But in this situation, they didn't because I don't think they thought this was an ineligible situation until the end. That's why they had to discuss it. Exactly. Can you believe that we've gotten to 2024 and the head referee is still required to run to the defense to say, hey, 68 or 70 is eligible? They, they used to, as Richard said, announce it over the loud, over the sound system. 68 is eligible for the, But I don't think they do that. I don't hear it. Maybe they, they tune it out for the live audience. I don't know. I don't think they announce it anymore. But they just tell well, the I, defense. I, I don't. Yeah, yeah right? they, they, they definitely tell the defense. But they still measure in first downs with sticks and chains. Skip, <laughs> so this is the same game. Okay. Yeah. So I don't I, know, I don't know right. when it's going to okay, advance. You got me. Bingo. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, previous to that, the NFL also has acknowledged that Brad Allen and company completely swung and missed on a tripping penalty that was called on the Cowboys' backup tight end, Peyton Hendershot. And at at worst, it should have been called, or at best, on, on Aiden Hutchinson. I have no idea, if you look at the play again, I don't know if you can see it, it's hard to see that anybody did anything. It, it looks right. like Tony, uh, uh, Tony Pollard just took off running and he was fine. Nobody tripped him or tried to trip. I don't see anything. And it was a, a big penalty against Dallas that set them back and set in motion what was about to happen. Can you guys see anything here? Yeah, but I, I don't, I, I, like you said, you know, I don't see, I, I don't see a flag there. I don't get it, Richard. You see anything? I don't. I don't. I I, I see the attempt. <laughs> I see uh, yeah. him trying to do okay. something. All right. But this, my my concern is like there are some plays that they call where you where where the ref calls a flag and then you can hear him listening and then you're like, hey, we're waving the flag. That wasn't a penalty yes. because it, it yes. got reviewed up top or it got reviewed in New York. And then some plays where you're like, why can't they do that when you when it's clearly a missed call? You, you're always in their ear any other time. And then sometimes they just let it go, which is odd. Okay. So even so, even given that missed penalty, Mike McCarthy still had a chance to run a bunch of clock and still be in position for uh, another, obviously, field goal from our our field goal cooker who's not missed a field goal all year. And yet on second down, he tries a deep pass to Brandon Cooks. I think I we know. have it. I don't, I, I don't know what this was all about because it's just <laughs> I don't killer. know what that was. It's, it's a killer. I here was in is. the box screaming yeah. right I'll here. I bet you were screaming. because I was screaming. Oh, my God. And then, out of bounds. It's yes, got yep. no hope yep. at all. Yep. 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 No hope whatsoever yep. to make that completion. I, I don't know what happened here. I, I, I think, see, we, we get people so much. So, so I don't know, and they were off a few times on this route, where where one receiver would they stop it early, yeah, and, mm -hmm. and and he would throw that ball and throw that deep ball. But right here, 
to have an incompleted pass at 150 left to go in the game, and you got another 45 seconds <sighs> to run off that clock on a completed pass. <sighs> when, they, when they went back down the field with 40 seconds left and they're on like the 20-yard line, I almost destroyed whosoever box I was in. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I can't believe we are here. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, my God. Now, now let's, and I want to back up a little bit, guys, because to that, you know, Dan Campbell made the, made the decision to go for two. And okay, the ref, we can all sit here and extrapolate. Maybe that ref blew that call. He certainly looked like, from the standpoint, he blew that call. He but did. Dan Campbell had another opportunity he did. right there to say, I can kick this field goal right now and get this thing into overtime. He could have done because it. Because my offense, my offense just drove down the field and drove through that Dallas defense like, like a hot knife on butter. He, he if did. I get the ball back, this game is over. You know what I mean? So so I can I can take what you guys are saying about, yeah, that was a bad call, that was a bad call. But that was a bad tripping call. But the game had to keep going on. And that next play, you could have made a better throw, won that game, or Dan Campbell could have kicked that ball and gone into overtime. Okay. Michael, you said the defense played very well, and it did until all of a sudden Mike McCarthy left a minute and 41 on the clock for Jared Goff and company, and they finally caught fire because they go 75 yards in nine plays for a touchdown, and that did right. not look like the same defense that had been on the field for most of the game. Obviously, you got prevent right. defenses going on and all this, but, but again, the mentality, right. they lost their edge, and all of a sudden, Detroit's in the end zone, and it was clear, Troy Aikman was saying on the, the telecast, it's just clear Dan Campbell's going to go for two. If they get this ball in the end zone, right. he is going to go right. for two, and he was hell-bent to go for two even after Mark. they got pushed back. And then Micah was off sides, and they just kept going on. And that one right yeah. there. Mm -hmm. yeah. That one right there, Skip. Yeah. That one right there. Now, now, the drive, the drive, the score, all of that, okay. But the Micah offsides one, because even during the drive and how the defense had played, you got an interception on that play. Game over. Yep. The game was over when, on that interception if, yep. if, if you don't have that offsides. And now that defense that had held Miami to 19 points turned around and held Detroit to 19 points ended and won this game on an interception. Yep. That's riding in the playoff high for me. That's a pretty good ride. Okay. See what I'm saying? So, so it was just that. And, and, and I give you, it was that Michael mistake on the lineup. It wasn't even a jump. You're lining up offsides. It's, it, it, made, it makes you throw your hands up. Like, we're way too late in the season for this. I, we're I way too late in the season for this kind of lack of focus coming down the line right here as you get ready to go into the playoffs. Okay, so Richard, you take this one. There's still one last two-point try, and they line up their backup tight end, try to kind of hide him at the, the edge of the formation, James Mitchell, and he, he just runs sort of a quick out, and they try to clear the area for him, and Jared Goff was just a little wide and and off target with the throw. What what do you think of it? Do you think if the if the throw's on time and on target that he scores? Curse is coming off his man yeah, to I, try to make the tackle. I think it's a tough play. It's a bang bang play. You know, I can't tell you. Football is one of those weird games where yep. it, there's no tackle that's created equal. You know, one play, 
a guy can can lunge through that tackle and reach for the pylon. Another play, yep. you know, yep. the it, it curse knocks him down and knocks him out of bounds, and it's not a touchdown. So that's why everybody watches the game. So I don't know how that play goes if he catches the pass or if it's a more accurate pass. I think more likely he finds a way to get the ball across the pylon since it's just a yard away. He, it's desperation time, so no matter what, it's going to be one of those chances where he at least puts it out there and gives himself a chance at the end zone. Yeah, by the way, that if backup. He understands leverage. Yeah, if ahead, he understands Mike. leverage. Yeah. If he yeah. understands leverage when he's running a route. Like if I'm run, if he's running that route and I can feel that guy coming inside out, yeah. then yeah, I can grab that ball and spin out and come out. If I feel him coming over the top and, and, and that ball is close enough to me where I don't have to, I can grab it and spin back around on the inside and come back and get in that end zone. If he understands leverage, there's no way he could have stopped, got stopped right there. If that dude that's catching that, if that tight end, because it wasn't Laporta, if he understands but, leverage, there's no way he doesn't get in. Okay, there. and by the way, Michael, James Mitchell had caught one ball all year, and it had come right. earlier in the fourth quarter of that game on Saturday night. So you right. want to talk about a secret right. weapon who had had no reps at all all year, and all of a sudden you're featuring him in the fourth quarter, and you clearly had this two-point play up your sleeve just in case the one to Taylor Decker didn't work or wouldn't fit or whatever. So, again, they had two chances to take it home, take a victory home, and they did not. So, Michael, back to and, you. And they put that yeah. tight end, and they put that tight yeah. end there when Laporta was going off. Laporta had the best day, seven so, grabs in the day. So, that yeah, that was a sneaker tight. I, sneak or not, I'd have had Laporta in that position if I'm going to throw that ball there. Okay, well, that's another good point. So, Michael, sum it up. As you left the stadium on Saturday night, were you elated or deflated, not knowing what Philly was going to do losing at home to Arizona? Were you elated or deflated by what right. you had witnessed? But I had witnessed a couple of things, Skip. I was deflated about how that game ended and everything, but I was honestly elated because of what had happened with Jimmy and, yeah. then, and then what I watched my 88 do, you know, <laughs> in C.D. Lamb, which, which we'll talk about. We're so, going to talk so, about So, yeah. It. I, I left there, man. I was like, man, this is a strange feeling. Because remember now, I didn't know what was going on with Philadelphia. I was like, man, this is, I just don't feel real good about the football part of it. I, I feel great about the other parts of it. But, yeah. but, man, I just didn't feel like we won that game. It certainly didn't feel like what, what I talked about there prior to the game where, dude, you see what's on this field? All of these dudes have rings out here. All of these guys, everybody you're looking at out here yep. ha have rings. And, and, and that would have been a moment to say, man, like, like, like I told y'all, Michael Parsons said to me at the draft when he first saw me, I want to be like you. I'm going to be like you. That means you want to be broadcast and I want to be a champion. I thought it would have pulled that out of them yep. a little bit more, especially on the offense. And, and, and that, that's not what I saw. Okay. Our next topic this morning is all about Richard Sherman. He will own the next topic because the question will be, will he finally give it up to Lamar Jackson for MVP? Can't wait to hear this. <laughs> I'm glad to be in on this conversation. Yeah. I missed it last time. I'm going to give it up. <laughs> 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Richard Sherman, you have been adamant that Lamar Jackson simply doesn't have the stats that have always been required to win an MVP. He did obviously have a big game yesterday as the Ravens at home blew out the Dolphins, of course, 56 to 19. Lamar went 18 to 21, 321 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. QBR scale is 0 to 100 of 96. So, Richard, did that performance change your mind? Uh, Skip, no, it did not, because the, the fact of the matter remains the same for me. That, that, that didn't move the needle. It was a fantastic performance by Lamar Jackson at a time his team needed it. It was a statement game late in the season in December. You got to give him all the credit in the world. But the five touchdowns in this game against the Miami Dolphins, as crazy as it sounds, Skip, are almost as many as he had in the months of both September and November combined. In those months combined, he had six touchdowns passing. And so when you you look at the full picture, I just don't see it. And again, people argue with me and they're like, man, you're just hating. I don't see how I'm hating. I'm just laying out the facts of the matter. If he had 30 touchdowns. I'll be the first to say you're not hating. Go ahead. No. Yeah, yeah I think I, because I think yeah. he's a fantastic. I thought that was an unbelievable game. I thought he played really well against San Francisco. I think he's yeah. having a really good season. It's just when he had his MVP season and it was unanimous. So you got to put an asterisk next to that because it was so outstanding that it was he was the first unanimous MVP in the history of the league. But he had 36 touchdown passes. Yeah. And then you look at him having 24 this year. He had 1,200 rushing yards. You look at it. He has about 843 or so this year. And so. I don't see it as the same in that respect. And people are like, well, he should get MVP because of what? If the numbers aren't there, then there's not much to say. People were like, they were comparing it to the Peyton Manning season of 2008. I mean, that season, he had six fourth quarter comebacks. Uh, He led the league in QBR. There were things that happened late in that year that, that kind of pushed him over the top, but the stats weren't necessarily there. And again, that was 15 years ago. If I look at the last 20 MVPs, of the National Football League, three of them being running backs. You had all day Adrian Peterson, mm-hmm. who had 2,000 yards. You had Ladanian with 31 total touchdowns. You had Sean Alexander with 28 total touchdowns. But outside of that, it's been quarterbacks. And those quarterbacks, there's only been three. Three. And two of them were co-MVPs in 2003, and that was Steve McNair and Peyton Manning. They had 29 total touchdowns for Steve McNair, 28 for Peyton, and they were co-MVPs. And then you have the 2008 Peyton season, where he had 28 total touchdowns. And that's it. Everybody else had above 30 touchdowns. And so if you're going to tell me there was an MVP 20 years ago, they were they shared it, and then Peyton Manning 15 years ago, out of all the quarterbacks that have won it, and that's it, nobody else has had less than 30 touchdowns in the last decade, in the last two decades, then I'm going to say I would assume they would stick to that pattern. So I guess... Skip, uh, but he's the betting favorite. So 
there's a chance he gets it, but I think it will be one of them situations where they have to split it because he has under 30 touchdowns. So they split it like they did in 2003 with Steve McNair and Peyton, likely giving it to CMC or Tyreek and and Lamar because, you know, I guess that's what they're going to do because otherwise I just don't understand it. Okay, just for the record, if if you had a vote right here, right now, it would go to... Christian McCaffrey. Okay, one vote for Christian, no split vote. You just give it to Christian. No, I, I, I'd split it if that's what we had to do. I mean, it's it's no, closer you, than it was before he had five touchdowns. Right. Yeah. You know, he had five touchdowns this right. week. And, and recency, it, it counts to a degree, but you also have to put the full scope of the picture. So I have to give him credit for what he did against the San Francisco 49ers in a primetime game with the world watching. Right. Played fantastic. And then what he just did against Miami with the number one seed on the line, he played his best football and executed. So I do have to factor that in and his yardage, his rushing, his impact. And by the way, before you go, Michael, Christian didn't have much of a game at Washington yesterday, but he did tweak his, I think it was his calf. They said it wasn't a big deal, but I think mid-third quarter, he didn't play much the rest of the way, if at all. I think he didn't go back in at all. So his numbers were not huge. He didn't have MVP caliber numbers at Washington for what that's worth. Okay, go, Mike. No, right, right now, and listen. When I was home the other day, when you guys were on this, it was just a great day. I was sitting home. I enjoyed the conversation Richard when I got Keyshawn. to work. Yep. Yeah, I got to work. I told Key, I said, it was so funny when Key told Sherm, all right, Sherm, go ask your face now because we beat you up a little bit. And they both started laughing at the end. It was all funny. It was great. I couldn't wait to get a chance to have, have this discussion. Because I was with Sherm on this, Sherm, because Sherm was talking about this. Sherm said, you guys can't just keep coming up and saying this is the game to determine the MVP. It's the combination of the whole season. It's not this one game who outdoes each other, who outduel each other in this one game, even though we do do that. We do do that. You know what I mean? And I understood what you meant because it was the Brock Purdy's and the Lamar Jackson's like right there battling, and since they got a chance to be head-to-head, everybody's going to measure them and say, now he's the leader. You know what I mean? But it's a whole season, not just that one game. So I was with you on that, Sherm. Now, now even, and I think they heard you talking about his numbers. They look like they were directing so at getting him some passing touchdowns. <laughs> I think, so. I think I they think heard so you. Too. Right. You, I, was like, I was like, they heard him. They're going to help him. And then right after the game, they all were hollering, MVP. They were. MVP. Like, like them five touchdowns. Now we can do it, Sean. We good. So I was like, okay, I see, I see. They saw this too. But I will also add to 2019 when he got that unanimous MVP, dude, this dude was phenomenal. See, we get caught up in the dynamic, too. We get caught up in that thing that, oh, my God, we ain't never see that. And remember some of the runs he made that season from a quarterback position? We were, we, we were saying even Michael Vick didn't make those kind of runs. And Michael Vick was the joystick on your football game. You know what I mean? So we said Michael Vick didn't make those kinds of runs. So, so, so we got caught up in that. But what we don't get caught up in is the consistency that he's displayed this year, the consistency for his football team, those numbers. All 16 games, he's had his team in the lead 
in the last two minutes, the only other time that has happened was those seven Patriots, and you know what kind of season those seven Patriots had, you know. So the, what we're saying is late in the season, late in the game, when other guys are throwing late touchdowns, garbage, garbage touchdowns, sometimes games they are losing touchdowns. Lamar Jackson didn't have to do that because he had he had ma managed and mastered his team and that game direct the earlier on in that game, so he wasn't caught up trying to catch up. So I give him credit for that. That's not something we talk about giving MVPs, but it's certainly something we should be talking about giving giving MVPs. Because if you can keep your team in the league in the last two minutes of every game, you're going to win a lot of those games. And, of course, and obviously, they won 13 of them so far the last 16. So they're winning a lot of those games. Right now, right now, with all that we have, and remember, I measure men in distance travel. When we're coming from, these guys didn't even know if they were going to be working together last year. And Lamar Jackson has a whole new offense. Okay. I'm just seeing the early stages of this right now. That's why I started going crazy when I saw him sitting in the pocket so long because when you put that and tap that into what he has running, then that, that, that is dangerous and he is having an MVP season. That's why he's my MVP mm. right now. Okay. So, Richard, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about this because – if you will remember, before the season started, I picked the Ravens to win it all, to win the Super Bowl, and it was because my logic was I believe Lamar coming off the contractual nightmare he went through last year, now that it's solved, I thought he was going to bounce back and win MVP his second this year. And you can argue he got off to a fairly slow start, and your stats are dead-on accurate about back to those couple of months. There were a lot of drop balls, but he lost Mark Andrews, obviously. He lost two really good running backs. He, he was in the Todd Monken offense that was brand new to him. And all I know is down the stretch, if we look at the last three weeks, if you look at how he took over and controlled games at Jacksonville when I thought they were legit, they won 23-7 to at Jacksonville. And obviously, <laughs> they went to the 49ers and just destroyed them on their turf. And then that thing happened yesterday to Miami. And I thought early on that without Kyle Hamilton in the secondary for the Ravens, then they lost Marlon Humphrey right off in like the first couple of series. And they didn't have Brandon Stevens on top of that at corner. And I thought, this is going to be a shootout. And Lamar is going to have to be really MVP great today. It didn't turn out that way, but it was like Lamar was playing it like it was a shootout, and he put out put up shootout numbers for his team that Tua was not able to match even against that battered Ravens secondary. So when, when I look at the body of work, how, again, we, we go back and forth about eye test. My eye test just tells me that Lamar rose above this NFL season and just took it over. But it's not all statistics. You have to carefully watch it. And what is your sort of subconscious telling you that the most valuable player in all of football, especially because of what he did to McCaffrey and Brock Purdy and Kyle on their their field, that, that he was the MVP? And I think he's going to win it in a runaway. I don't know if he'll be unanimous, but I think it'll be close to unanimous just because of the last three weeks. Yeah, I just I, – and, and if that's the case, Skip, then that changes the precedent 
for how they vote for the it, award. It would. And the same thing yeah. that makes you laugh will make you cry later because there will be a time where Lamar has the stats similar to his unanimous MVP season, and then somebody will be talking about these intangibles. Maybe he, maybe they won't have the number one record in the AFC, and somebody else, they'll be like, it's the eye test, it's the eye test, it's this, it's that, but the numbers aren't there. And then there will be Baltimore fans screaming from the mountaintops that this is dead wrong because Lamar has the numbers. And so that's where I just... I don't know if they can set this precedent. And, well, I mean, I guess they can. They can do whatever they want. They can. But if you set this precedent, then you set it for the future. And then you start to make it very muddy for the future in that the numbers don't matter. And okay. so if the numbers don't matter, then what does? Then Because everything else is speculation. Everything else is conjuncture. Everything else is an opinion. Like the eye test is a subjective matter. My eyes see different than yours. You may have 2040 and I got 2020. Skip, that's subjective. I can't see it how you see it. But the things that, that aren't debatable, that aren't negotiable, are the numbers, the concrete numbers that you put down on the field. And that's why they've used it every year to help determine this award. And you rarely ever see a situation where the MVP isn't leading the league in at least one category. Even yeah. Peyton's year, he led it in QBR. Um, the last couple of years, the quarterbacks have led it in touchdowns. Right. Majority of the time, they, they have led it in touchdowns. And so right now, he's 10th. In passing touchdowns. Yeah, Richard, he's he's leading the league in one category right now, and it's 13 and three, right? That's all he's got is they're 13 and three. That's a team stat. That's a team stat. You can't can't give me a team stat and say he's leading in it when they have the number one defense in sacks, takeaways, scoring. Like, I hear what you're saying, but that's a complete team. Or otherwise, you're spitting in the face of this defense and saying, hey, they're not doing anything for these wins. They're not They're not making an impact or a difference, and that's not true. Okay, go, Mike. Well, but everybody's making – everybody on the team is making a great impact and making a difference, but we, we tend to give quarterbacks more due when, when things are going great. We tend to give them a little bit more – more bad when things are going not so great. So, so that, that's the reality of it. But, Sherm, you bring up a point that, that we are witnessing. That we are witnessing things change at the quarterback position. We are witnessing different ways that that position now produces uh, yards and touchdowns. So, so, yeah, it used to be all about the passing touchdown. But now we're getting – the duo threat quarterbacks, the yep. real duo threat quarterbacks, not 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 athletes playing quarterbacks. You know what I mean? Not a guy that's really a runner that we turned into a quarterback. We're getting quarterbacks that can really run, and that's what Lamar Jackson is really that has really turned yep. into. Before you could have said he was you know, he was joking about I'm a running back, I'm a running back. <laughs> not so joking, joking. But you know what I mean? We would yeah. you are running back trying to throw. But now this dude's a real quarterback and that can run. And that's the difference. And I do believe those numbers are going to change because people are going to see this kind of effectiveness. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, open it up. So how can you start having those guys in the Super Bowl like last season and start saying, well, how do you get his team to the Super Bowl? He's not even in the MVP conversation only because he threw for 25 only threw for 26 touchdowns, 25 touchdowns, and ran for another eight, nine touchdowns. You know what I mean? So you're going to get those numbers there as the game moves, and the game is moving. Yeah, good point. I I feel that, but, I, I, but I've seen two mobile quarterbacks win the award. And so those quarterbacks had 35 for Cam Newton. Killer won it 
in 2015 with 35 passing touchdowns, 10 rushing touchdowns. Lamar himself won it with 36 passing touchdowns to seven rushing touchdowns, 43 total. So we've seen it done by him specifically, by another mobile-type quarterback in Cam Newton. And the numbers, again, were a lot more than that. That were 45 total touchdowns for Cam, 43 for Lamar. So, again, those points are why I'm saying this is just one of those years where if it went co, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, Richard, last question just for you. You said your vote would go to Christian McCaffrey. How much... Remember, Brock Purdy has been, I I don't know, most of the weeks of this year. The majority of this year, Brock Purdy was the favorite to win MVP. How much has C-Mac benefited from Brock Purdy? How much would they cancel each other out along with Kyle's offense, along with his scheme, benefiting both of them? How how much of that would would cancel each other out, both Brock and C-Mac under Kyle? Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. That's up to the voters. That's a great question, though, yeah. Skip. I I think after his 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 performance against the Baltimore Ravens, you know whether the interceptions were his fault or whether they weren't, it, it still happened. It's a four interception game. Yeah. I think that would dissuade some voters and really put the onus on Christian McCaffrey. And I think that's why the the betting odds are the way they are with Christian McCaffrey second in those. I think Tyreek being hurt for one of the games, the last three games, and then having under 100 yards for the last two will affect that. And so I think I, I think if somebody's going to vote for the San Francisco 49ers player, I think it's going to be Christian McCaffrey just because of how that game went for Brock Purdy. Man, I sat right here in this chair at this desk, and I called this one from the start. I said that even at 10-1, and 1, the Eagles were overrated, especially on defense. Now they've lost four of five. Yesterday, they gave up 221 yards rushing to Arizona, coached obviously by their former defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, which did allow Arizona yesterday to control the ball 40 minutes to 20 minutes. So, Richard, what do you see is wrong with these Eagles? Well, I see a lot that's wrong with them, Skip, and it starts with the coaching. Um, You always knew that it'd be a transition when you have two coordinators leave for head coaching positions and you're trying to replace them, but you didn't think it would be this bad. Um, Brian Johnson in this offense has been, for the most part, predictable, um, which makes it hard to even really highlight your playmakers because you got things happening on offense that the defense knows is coming. Like, you you can predict these things. This this defense... um, of the Arizona Cardinals hasn't been the greatest this season, but they got enough playmakers to get the job done offensively. They've run the ball incredibly well all season long. Uh, Jonathan Gannon has has really committed to the run. You saw it when the Dallas Cowboys played the Arizona Cardinals. They ran the ball, they, they ran the ball, and they ran the ball some more. Yep. And Kyler Murray made enough plays down the stretch uh, to help them win that ball game. But you would think that the players could overcome this. Yeah, The players could... Hey, on defense, they have enough players to overcome the lack of coaching in the transition. They talked about Sean Desai, and maybe he was the issue, and then replaced him with Matt Patricia before the Seattle Seahawks game, and that didn't make a difference. They still ended up giving 35 points up to the Arizona Cardinals, so it doesn't seem like it matters who was calling the plays. I didn't think Matt Patricia was the answer when they made the change. I still don't think he's the answer, and I think the play on the field shows he's not necessarily the answer, but you're concerned because you look at that D-line 
and you say, hey, if they were young, you would be like, oh, okay, they're getting, you know, they're getting schemed, they're getting beat. But you got Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, you got Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, you got guys who played high-level football for a very long time, and I just can't see why they're getting out schemed in this way. Then you got young guys who who are really talented, like Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis. You got a secondary that that is just about the same as last year. I mean, they're missing one huge piece of it that that went to Detroit um, and and CJ Gardner Johnson. Yep. But I didn't think that they would go from one of the top pass defenses in the league to 28th in passing. They're they're amongst the worst in a lot of these statistical categories, and you can't understand it outside of the the transition from uh, Jonathan Gannon to these new coordinators. Mm. Go, Michael. Yeah, and, 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 and for me now, you know, <clears throat> you, since, since you talked about Matt Patricia. Since he's taken over, they've allowed 17 points in, 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 the, in the second half of all of those games. So, so absolutely, I will point to the defense allowing 17 points and, and, and 29 uh, just the other day. In the second half. So that's a season high points allowed in, in, in the second half. And then you turn around with all of that, Skip, as they move forward. Now, you know, Devontae Smith's walking around now in, 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 a, in, a, in a walking boot. Yeah. A little banged up and a little yeah. hurt. Mm-hmm. So, so right. So now I right now put all I put a lot on that defense. I'm surprised at the defense, to be honest with you, because I thought, wow, what a great formula they had. All those great old players, I'd say older players, older veterans that you just mentioned, bringing in all in the Codeine and all of those guys from Georgia that already have a championship pedigree. You don't even have to teach these guys how to play championship football. That's what they've all done at Georgia, and they did it together. I thought this was a great mesh of talent. You're bringing that young talent with this older talent. Man, these guys can be doing this for the next five, ten years. But I do know the difference that happens when you bring in different coordinators. You know what I mean? Even when they've, I know the difference when it's Noah Turner to 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 the guy, Ernie Zampezi, that yep. taught him, and we still go and win a Super Bowl, like because like, that's what they have in Philly right now. But I also know when you go and bring some outside guy in, like a Chan Gailey, and that go. thing goes a whole nother way because you're like, this dude doesn't even know how to set up this team to win football games. Yeah. I thought the coordinators that they have would know how to set up that team because they were there to see that team. I also have to give a little bit to Jalen Hurst being injured this year. The run game is not as big of a threat no. as it was last season, which made everybody play so many people in the box. And then you got these two receivers, two number ones, Devontae Smith and A.B. 11, A.J. Brown, mm-hmm. Uh, just d- doing damage to people. So, yeah, they're not what they were last year when you when you see all of that. But I think it all starts on that defense. When teams know they can score on you like that, that puts some exor- an, an enormous amount of pressure it on does. the offense for the Philadelphia Eagles. The offense put up 21 first-half points the other day, and that was nowhere near enough because of the collapse that defense has suffered the last three games. All right. So the first sign I had that this defense was way overrated came a year ago on Christmas Eve at Jerry World when pretty much this same defense gave up 40 points and 419 yards to Dak's offense. Now, Jalen didn't play in that game, but he doesn't play safety, as I kept going back and forth with Keyshawn about. And yet, Richard, 
there's no way your 49ers aren't going to win that game at Philadelphia, the NFC Championship game, if Brock Purdy doesn't go down in the first series with his elbow injury. There's no way. I, the, the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. They might have won the Super Bowl over Mahomes, who did not play that well against this torchable Eagles defense in the Super Bowl. But Mahomes threw for 182 in that game, and it, it wasn't vintage Mahomes. But the point is, this defense just keeps sliding into the sunset week after week after week. It's now 29th in points allowed in the NFL. Only better than Washington and Arizona and at the very bottom, Carolina. So it's a bottom four defense in points allowed. And on offense, it's now seventh in points scored, which is pretty good, but it's fallen all the way to ninth in rushing with Swift at, at, as their sort of primary lead back. And remember, two years ago, they led the league in rushing. Last year, they were top five in rushing, so they've slipped to ninth. So that's not the same. And then in the all-important turnover differential, they're now minus seven, which is 23rd in the league. So, so that's pretty terrible because they have only 17 takeaways on defense, so they don't take the ball away. That ranks 24th. And Jalen has thrown a career high 14 interceptions. Right. So that's that's right. no good. He's 23 to he 14. He wasn't doing that last year. No. He wasn't he, doing he that wasn't, last year. He wasn't either. doing he wasn't it. Doing this year. So it, it's right. a bad recipe for now disaster. And to Richard's point, late in the game, late, late in the year, I'd never seen anything like this. Uh, the day it happened, I said, I can't imagine that Nick Sirianni just demoted his new defensive coordinator in favor of Coach Pencil. Obviously, Matt Patricia took over for Sean Desai. And it didn't matter. It, it didn't fix what ailed them, as people thought. And remember, they went and got Kevin Byard. And everybody said, oh, that's the missing piece to the puzzle. And then I had to take a lot of abuse on this show because they went and got Shaq Leonard, who had visited Dallas. I don't even know if Jerry was going to offer or not. I don't know. He didn't offer while Shaq was there. And now it sounded like yesterday I didn't watch closely because I, I got afraid to turn the game on because I was afraid I was going <clears> to <throat> jinx it. But it sounded like Shaq Leonard got, got pulled from the game at least one time. So I'm not sure he's changed life in Philadelphia. And I kept hearing Jalen Carter's unblockable, and I don't know what happened to that. So they're just a really bad defensive football team that on paper looks like it could be pretty great, but it's not. Yeah, I yeah. It's 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 hard because it just on tape, in person, in the stat sheet, right. it doesn't look like a confident team. You know, when you're a Super Bowl contender, when you're a contender in December, you got the eyes, even when you're not gonna win it. You got the eyes, you got the look, you got the feel you of a contender. And this isn't what they look like. I knew going into the game that it would be shaky because they've been shaky. They haven't looked great. In any of these games, they didn't look great against the New York Giants. They did New, not. New York Giants yep. had a Hail Mary chance at the end of the game. Obviously, they were still down eight. But the fact that they even had a, it a, a chance at all. Hail Mary, that was from the 26-yard line. So he's throwing – Tyrod was thrown into the end zone to win the game, obviously. Right, right. But it's and, – and, and this is a team that, you know, has gone through a lot. A lot of injuries, a lot of back and forth, a lot of heartache throughout the season – and they're battling you throughout the game. So I knew this Arizona Cardinals team, who shouldn't even be, you know, that's why people are like, NFL's fixed and teams tank. 
this team should be tanking. They shouldn't be trying to win these games. They should be hoping to get the number two or a higher draft pick. But you know what they're doing? They're playing really hard for a new head coach. They're running the ball well. They're putting together winning habits like the Detroit Lions did last year, late in the year, so that they can carry that over into next year. And so I knew, knew that a team that runs the ball well would give them problems. Obviously, Jonathan Gannon knows this scheme, this team, better than anybody um, outside of Shane Steichen and, and Nick Sirianni. Um, but I didn't think that they would go in there into Philadelphia and win the game. But you could see once the momentum starts to change in a right. ball game and you right. don't have belief, you don't have then belief. you start to doubt. Yep. Right. And it, right. You know, it falls and apart really quick. No, you know about it. You know about it, Sharon, because, listen, let me tell you what happens here. And you, you, you went for back-to-back. You know what it's like when you're going. You won the first one. It was headed back. I, I, I went back-to-back. So, you know, when you win that first time, you come back, you, you think, well, we still got the same team. Oh, oh, and you're going into those games thinking, oh, we can turn this on anytime and take over and win <laughs> games. And early in the season, Philly was doing that, and I kept saying, hey, they're ending up, they're winning the games. It doesn't matter, they're winning the games. But, but when things start going bad, I'm going to tell you, man, oh, my God. And you start saying, man, we're going to change it. It'll get fixed next week. It'll get fixed next week. It'll get fixed next week. Next Around week. that third, it'll get fixed, and it ain't fixed. You start doubting, oh, my God, are we not the same team? And I think I'm seeing that starting to creep in now in Philadelphia, and that's the worst thing that you can take into a playoffs because you're going to have doubt into a playoffs. So I predicted to Keyshawn that Philly would lose one of its last three games. It was Giants at home, then Arizona at home, and at Giants to close. And I was right but wrong because it was Arizona that beat Philly. But I have my doubts that Philly can now go to the Giants and win because the Giants should have beaten the Rams yesterday. They had them dead (laughs) to rights and – Tyrod missed a little pop pass to Saquon, and then Mason Crossbar, as I call him, from doing Dallas in, he missed the field goal that would have won the game at the end of the game. So the Giants are playing at a fairly high level, and the Eagles are not, and the Giants would like nothing better than to send them into the playoffs with another tail-between-their-legs loss. I can see it. I can see it at this point. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. It's, it, it's weird because Philly has the Super Bowl hangover without the Super Bowl, and that's, that's probably true. the hardest right. pill to swallow right. for right. this team and for this fan base is because they felt like they won a Super Bowl. They, they were treated like all year like yeah, they had true. won a Super Bowl, but yeah. they had not, and they still get everybody's best shot. They get everybody's best, best every week, and then they have the heartbreak of losing a Super Bowl. It's a lot to stack on. It is. A lot to recover from.